What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where twice a week I get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders and really figure out how this movement came to be. I'm joined today with Kevin Wang from the Nervos Network. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Charlie. Good to be here. Hey, so it's like, it's crazy Bitcoin. Uh, we broke the all-time high, and it's actually perfect time to to get into like the conversations and talk about some of the the topics that I want to talk about today. It was cool because when I was doing when I was doing the research for the show, uh, I was telling you earlier uh, I like to read companies' blog posts, and a lot of times it's always written about uh, you know who, who we are and and uh, the why. But your blog post followed the ethos of the show because you were trying, it seems like, and, and what is written about you and what you guys have written, it seems like you appreciate the fact that in order to understand how a technology is going to change the world and why it's so important to understand its history, where did you get that idea and why do you think that's important? Yeah, I think uh, blockchain technology in general is not like any other technologies. Um, you know, when you have other technologies, um, you know, you have, you know, for example, a new database, right? So a new company can just start using it and then start making money. And uh, other companies see how that works and then they start also adopting it. Um, blockchain tech is more like internet. Um, it will be successful when it becomes a movement, when it becomes a phenomena, a major. Um, you know, uh, sort of era-defining uh, movement. And this is where you need to talk about the technology in the terms of, you know, where it's from and what is, what is a big deal? Why do people want to participate? Um, because those are important questions to have people really understand it. Uh, not just, you know, not just um, how I can then use it to improve my productivity, but um, you know, why I want to be part of it. Why do you want to be part of it? Well, I think it's important, right? So I always have this, I mean, this probably comes from my own background. Um, you know, I was trained as an engineer and then um, sort of early in my career, uh, this was uh, the uh, the last financial crisis. I was still early in my career and then just got into this trying to understand the world of finance and then, you know, how things happened and why we're in the mess that we were. And um, so that's the point I sort of, you know, study finance and got into uh, sort of Austrian economics and also, you know, discovered Bitcoin. And, and I think, uh, you know, this is something that really that, that, we're, that we were missing, right? So from, uh, from a sound finance point of view. Um, sound money and, and, and the new sort of new, new type of finance. Uh, and then from technology's point of view, um, you know, I also see this movement again throughout my, my career. Uh, you know, in the early 2000s, um, you know, I was a software developer at the time. Um, and, you know, it was very easy to build projects and, and companies. And then you go to meetups and you see all these uh, you know, venture capitalists, VCs, and whatnot, and they just start pitch entrepreneurs, and then things started to change, right? When sort of Apple started to 
become more dominant uh, in the space. And it's just harder and harder to start companies because the big ones just monopolizing all the data. And um, it's just very difficult. So if you look at how this landscape evolved, right? So we started with um, you know, mainframes and then personal computer came along and then uh, monopolize, uh, try, try to commoditize the, the hardware components. And then people become, you know, it become more accessible to computing. And then that started a wave of innovation. And, um, but then the barrier kind of moved to software. Then that was a Microsoft era, right? And then, um, and then open source came along, uh, started this new movement. All of a sudden it was cheap to get access to software. And so that started a wave of innovation as well. Um, and then the internet came along. And then, you know, uh, access started to be really cheap and really commoditized. And then you see these companies just massing all the data, right? So that becomes a major barrier of innovation. So I think what we're seeing right now from a technologist's point of view, I think we're seeing this point in time where um, uh, data is becoming increasingly available. Uh, and, you know, what is available data that cannot be censored, that, cannot, that can be shared with everybody. Uh, open platform everybody can build on that's that's blockchain um yeah so i think either from um like a finance and that's probably the last barrier that uh still regulated and you know still very very inefficient and segmented across the globe um from a sunk money point of view whereas you know we in this era of you know governments started to you know billion dollars get thrown around and uh no recourse and then, or technology point of view, I think all these is, you know, come together. And uh, I think we're at a very interesting time of, in history. I think, um, yeah, I, I think what this happens, um, yeah, we're going to probably move into something that's, that's very much significant and um, probably what you find the next several decades. We're talking about this movement that's, that's defining the next uh, several decades. And, uh, I completely agree with you on that front. It's it's pretty it's pretty intense and it's a pretty insane thing to think about especially of the fact that sometimes you don't even know why you fall down the rabbit hole and get into the space. But I wanted to ask you so so when we're talking about Bitcoin and Ethereum and and all these different uh, cryptocurrencies we're not just talking about money and and finance we're talking about mm -hmm. like the democratization and the the distribute the uh, decentralization, but really like the distribution of big data back to more efficiency. And this is what you were saying. It's like instead of a few companies holding all this data and being the gatekeepers, being permissioned, now with with re the the real invention and the like one of the real impetuses to to this like this movement is the fact that we have uh, data information. And then it could all tie into finance in a way where anyone can using this software can launch and uh, do better than some of these big data companies. And yeah, my question exactly. to you is, is it better? Is this, is this the market's answer to the problem that you were talking about? Or is regulation the answer? Because as you know, the US and the EU in the past year, they haven't done it for many, many years have brought antitrust lawsuits to both the EU and the US against these big data companies. In fact, just this morning, I read that the EU is trying to um, pass a digital, digital assets, a digital 
uh, Marketing uh, Act that essentially says that any any data or any internet company that has more than 45 million monthly like eyeballs or 10,000 business customers are now considered like gatekeepers and there are all mm-hmm. these laws and rules and regulations around those companies what's a better solution those regulations or blockchain technology well absolutely it's blockchain right uh i think regulations or government in general they react to problems um but they can never provide the right solutions. Um, and then their reaction to a problem is always, okay, let's make the problem go away somehow. Let's, you know, look at the symptoms and then, you know, try to patch it up or solve it at a very superficial level. Whereas we're talking about, uh, I mean, these issues are probably around for decades. And then we really need a new paradigm come along to replace the current um, uh, you know, landscape and how people how things are done, and for that sort of innovation, I I, I don't think will ever come from government. So let's let's get into the weeds a little bit here. So the year is uh, going back to like some of the narratives and the stories. The year is two thousand and eight, and Satoshi's releasing. You know, so Satoshi's talking the mailing list, and he's fleshing out, you know, he or she or them or they are fleshing out the early Bitcoin development and their you know, writing on the mailing list and, and releasing the white paper. And those are the early years up until like 2011. And up until, up until like those early years, especially when you had like the early like Feathercoin and Peercoin and, and Namecoin. In fact, uh, most people don't know this, but Satoshi actually talked about an altcoin. Satoshi talked about Namecoin in the Bitcoin talk forum. So like Satoshi knew altcoins existed. So as these new altcoins are coming around, and then and then now I'm skipping obviously years, Ethereum launches. Most people now believe, and I'd like for you to like clear this up if you can. Uh, most people really understand, not that they believe that they just don't understand, uh, and and I didn't for many years. That in fact uh, Ethereum and a lot of the newer blockchains or what call themselves blockchains are using a completely different style of ledger as opposed to what uh, Satoshi had done with Bitcoin which uses, as, as a lot of people know, UTXOs, unspent transaction outputs. And that essentially uh, keeps track of all the unspent outputs or what we, we look at as like unspent Satoshis or unspent Bitcoin. How is that different than, than what Ethereum does, on, which is more of like a, a, an accounting-based system? And, and why is that really important? Why is that not just like what database someone uses? Why does it matter? Yeah, yeah. Happy to dive into this. Um... So Bitcoin uses something called the UTXO model, right? So like you said, UTXO stands for unspent transaction output. Um, so what it does is if you actually examine the blockchain, um, the blockchain is a bit just basically a chain of blocks. And then in every single block, it's just a bunch of transactions. Um, if you examine every transaction in Bitcoin, they have inputs and outputs, right? What they basically are saying is this is some this is a transaction that changed hands before the transaction happened, I have, let's just say, I have one Bitcoin and you have zero Bitcoin. After transaction happened, I have 0.5 Bitcoin and you have 0.5 Bitcoin. And that's it, right? So it describes the before and after state for each transaction recorded on the blockchain. And uh, so you can see that how this exactly that happens, the blockchain does not record it, right? Uh, what it records is the before and after. And uh, and then for the miners that maintain the integrity of the of the blockchain, 
what they do is something called verification. They verify that this is actually a valid transaction. In other words, you know, if if the before is one Bitcoin, but after is two Bitcoin, then that's not a valid transaction. Uh, I would just talk about more payment transactions um, because one Bitcoin was created out of thin air, right? So what the miners do is verification on the Bitcoin network. Um, so why does what does it matter? Uh, because uh, you know, for me, let's say I have uh, uh, so in the Bitcoin network, uh, there is no concept called. Uh, I'm trying to how, how to think about this, right? Um, there's no like only, a, there's no like account, right? You're not right, actually no holding account. the Bitcoin, right? There are only just Bitcoin. There are only Bitcoin in the network, right? So I in my wallet, I may have a bunch of coins, and then I try to pay you an amount. Now. You know, maybe I have a coin of you know one one Bitcoin and you know two point five and you know zero point seven and so on and so forth. Um, how I collect these coins and then make the right amount and then pay to you and then get my change back, that algorithm is not part of the consensus process. So in other words, you know the miners don't care how I come up with uh, collect my coins and which one I use to 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 pay you. They just want to make sure that the before and after are valid, and this is significant. Uh, you know, especially you know, we go to like Ethereum-like platforms. Wait, um, before you get into Ethereum, okay, sure. Uh, can you explain that a little bit more? So, essentially, to summarize what you're saying, we're, the way we're looking at it is like as like coins, or even like point zero 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 one, is is incorrect in the way that they're not. And this only works because it's only Bitcoin on the blockchain. It's just lots and lots and lots of unspent outputs that come together with this one private key to create a whole. So, so really, like, is there a finite amount of unspent transaction outputs that could ever be? Is that, so is that how we should be looking at, at Bitcoin in that respect? There is no uh, unspent Transaction UTXOs and spend transaction outputs, right? So I could have a a coin or an or UTXO and uh, spend transaction outputs, and I could park there for five years. I don't move it, and that's fine. Uh, or I keep sending people around bitcoins, um, maybe small amounts, and then that one single uh, unspent transaction output can be broken down into millions of other coins as I send to, as I transact them. They can also be combined. Maybe I have a lot of very, um, uh, they, they actually have a name, right? These are called the dust uh, UTXOs. Uh, these are very, very small amount coins um, in my wallet. And then maybe I collect all of them and then I send in one transaction and then they become a bigger UTXO. Uh, and that's that to you. So that amount, total amount is then reduced. Um, so now so we take no... all these uh, UTXOs and we, we bring them all together. Uh, a lot of us have, you know, a lot of people read The Alchemist in school or whatever in some of these books. And in these books, it, it, we learn at a young age that things like gold, for example, we can, we know how gold is made, but we can't reverse engineer things like that. We can't turn, you know, like, for example, if you're religious, you can't, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. How, it's, it's an impossibility or whatever. Or maybe through certain chemical reactions and, an, and a certain amount of money and a certain amount of work, it can be put together. So essentially with Bitcoin and UTXOs is that the reason that it's so secure 
is that the amount of work it would be required to rebuild all of the unspent, uh, all of the uh, uh, inputs on the other side, like building a Lego set that you broke apart back together requires so much work that, and because the chain is constantly moving, that your work has to be faster and greater than the chain's work. So you can, like a race, like speed up. And for those who are watching, exactly. they see my hands moving. And that essentially is why Bitcoin is so great. And that's the security model of it. How is Ethereum different? And then, and then kind of go into like Nervos and, and talk about some, how some of the other chains are doing, are doing things. Yeah. So before we get to Ethereum again, now we're in this history mode, right? Um, so it wasn't like allowing Bitcoin to do more things uh, was never attempted. Ethereum was not the first attempt to do that. Um, I can remember from my early days in, in the space, uh, two notable projects that are trying to do this. Uh, one is called um, Colored Coins. So what they're basically saying is... First ICO, MasterCoin. There's also, yeah, there's also MasterCoin. That's the other one I was talking, trying to say. So ColorCoin is, it, it's more of a concept, right? So what they're saying is, well, you have these Bitcoin UTXOs. Uh, right now, they just represent amounts. Why don't we let them represent some other things so we can add some semantics to these Bitcoins? Um, you know, in some field that's currently not used by the Bitcoin network, we can just, you know, put in some, write some arbitrary data there and then we can interpret that data yeah. so that it just doesn't not just, just represent, represent Bitcoin. Uh, the other attempt is just that it's MasterCoin, right? So it, it goes even further uh, and then define what exactly these semantics are. And then, you know, that's what they're saying is, hey, let's come up with like 20 to 25 use cases. And um, we can define those 25 use cases in the protocol. And then we'll modify the Bitcoin network to support these. Um, so ultimately, you know, neither really took off. I think MasterCoin uh, became Omni Network, and then this is what USDT Omni USDT is is built on. But that's probably the only mm. application that came out of it. Um, so why is Ethereum interesting? Because uh, in order to do this general computing or general sort of applications on the blockchain, you need two things. You need a um, a generalized way to represent data on the blockchain, uh, not just bitcoins, uh, not just amounts of Bitcoin for the Bitcoin network. And then you need a um, sort of programmability, scriptability. Now, Bitcoin has the way that you can script uh, Bitcoin, but it's very limited. It's, it's, the name is actually just called the script. Uh, for was, was it written originally for, for poker, essentially, right? I actually don't know that story, but... There's some, uh, so, some theories that, okay. that, that believe that the original Satoshi code in there for the script... Because the original Satoshi code has been rewritten over sometimes, but uh, yeah. the the script uh, was for for online poker. But I I can't confirm Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah. So it's it's very limited, right? It's yeah. a very limited um a script. It's not like your uh, programming the general programming language they use today. So what Ethereum did was okay. So we're going to generalize data the data structure uh for the ledger, and this is what we call you know we can we can get to it a little bit later call the account model. Right. So, uh, and then they adopt the concept called smart contract. So, what that means is you can have two type of accounts. One is just like Bitcoin, and then I have, I have an account that you can, you can send me uh, ETH. Um, that account will track how many ETH total uh, in my account. And then there's something else called smart contract accounts. And then smart contract accounts can have much richer data structure. Um, so, 
I, you know, the way I look at it is it's, um, you know, uh, it, it sort of went to the other direction from Bitcoin and um, uh, come up with new data structure called, you know, new data structure account models. So it's more, it mimics more closely to how developers actually, you know, work day to day in a very object oriented way. Um, and, and, you know, reason through that, through that instead of, you know, putting that still in Bitcoin UTXOs. Um, so, uh, and you talk about Nervo. So what we do is uh, we try to, and this is why I wanted to bring back this history, right? So we want to keep the UTXO model that Bitcoin invented. We're inspired by the Bitcoin UTXO model, but we define this more generalized UTXO model so you can uh, basically have the data structure to express anything. And then also the ability to run any script. So Turing complete programming, basically. Um, but we build that on the UTXO model. Uh, the way we look at it is UTXO model, it's a more sound sort of letter, le Lego building block um, because the most important thing is, it, first, it's a verification based, it's not computation based. No. We believe that blockchain is very expensive, um, that uh, you know, we don't have to do every computation on chain as long as we can verify that these are valid. Right, so this is again along with the Bitcoin uh, philosophy, and um, also more importantly, it, it allows parallel processing. So just everywhere else you look, modern computing goes to parallel processing, multi-core, and um, multi-thread, and, and so on. So the ability to leverage these will be massive when we talk about um, uh, you know scalability. Um, so Bitcoin can do this because, you know, for Bitcoin processors, you can look at the UTX, so you can look at the, process, uh, the transactions, you know which ones are interdependent, and then you can just run them on multiple cores on the computer. Um, whereas Ethereum, you can't, right? So Ethereum, you can only run transactions serially. And uh, I think that will become a big bottleneck. Um, and it's not, it's almost impossible to fix because, you know, you're changing, you essentially would be changing the, the, the very essence of how the platform works. Kevin, but by by adding like scripting languages and by adding uh, the ability to do smart contractual based uh, transactions, aren't you creating like more attack vectors uh, on the main chain itself? This has been one of the reasons that Bitcoin never wants, never wanted to or wants to add any more code base type like this that could create these attack vectors. And it's one of the reasons that Ethereum has been attacked on chain. Like the Ethereum chain yeah. itself has had malleability and rolling back. And, you know, obviously this is all experimentation. So we can't uh, look at those as like the death of these things. But at the end of the day, an unattacked chain and the most secure chain is, is very important to most people. I agree. I think Bitcoin is doing exactly the right thing. Um, I think Bitcoin serves a very, very important purpose. And uh, money is probably the most important application uh, you know, ever in human history. So uh, you know, we want Bitcoin to be stable, to be secure, to be the, okay, the, the enemy of security is complexity, right? So you, to be really secure, like you said, you want to be simple. And Bitcoin is exactly that. Um, and 
and on the on the general platform side, I think there are many platforms like Ethereum and Nervos and you know uh, we are pushing the envelope. So yes, so there will be it, it is way more complicated than Bitcoin, um, but it also uh, you know it, it, it serves important purposes. Um, so you can argue you know um, scooters and cars and airplanes and you know space shuttles. Yes, they become increasingly important. Uh, sorry, complicated, but it doesn't mean that we don't continue to explore. Proof of work is arguably, in my opinion, uh, the only, and I'm not, I'm really not, a, uh, people say that I get on these like maxi rants or maximalist rants, <laughs> and I'm so not that. I'm just someone who's willing to like ask the questions that others don't want to ask. Or, you know, when you, when you fall into a belief, you don't want to ask the questions that could essentially change your belief. But, um, but I strongly believe that proof of work is the most secure and is the only permissionless blockchain. And a lot of people give me flack because they say, well, Ethereum is, is, is permissionless. Most blockchains are permissionless. If you don't need permission to, to buy and sell it, you can go on an open market. And I explain, in my definition, that's not what permissioned versus permissionless mean. In my definition, can anyone have access to this chain right now? No one needs permission by anyone to mine Bitcoin. Not only that, but as long as land and resources and energy uh, is not controlled by a single person in the world, as long as that's not the case, as long as one person doesn't control all the land and all the resources, mm -hmm. then Bitcoin will always be decentralized, will remain decentralized. Again, not even if you have a situation where a few people control all of the hash rate, Bitcoin has the ability to, to plan for that. Uh, other blockchains proof of stake, and I'd like to be proven wrong here, especially with proof of stake, uh, at its outset, if a group, a small group of people can control, or one person can control all of the supply, yes, I know everyone has a price, but that's the whole point. If the, if the supply can be controlled and the value of controlling a network becomes greater than, than the price of one of those tokens in and of itself, there's never an incentive to sell anymore. The network becomes obsolete. This could happen to something like Ethereum with and in other proof of stake blockchains. Tell me, tell, please prove me wrong and, and poke holes in my argument. Um, yeah, I can definitely, <laughs> I'm not trying to prove it wrong because we're kind of very similar, uh, similarly aligned, um, right? But I, I, just to be fair, right? Um, and I'm getting into stable coins. That's where I'm alluding to, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think just to be fair, right, there's argument that proof of work, there's also mining pools where people, I mean, this is, again, this argument has yeah. started when mining pool emerged and people start thinking about whether that's a good or bad thing. Um, and, uh, you know, you have mining pools that control that basically to, you know, block produce production in proof of system as well. Yeah. And it doesn't, at least for at least for right now, it doesn't look like mining pools are going away. Um, I think the most fundamental difference when we talk about, you know, permissionless participation or censorship resistance is that proof of work is even with mining pools, it's evolving system, right? Which means the reason that mining pools can have somewhat a monopoly is because they have critical resources like bandwidth access. Um, that uh, you know, DDoS attack and things like that. But these things change with the technology, right? So we are in a very different. Um, we have very different, like internet access, 
technology today than a decade ago. And then 10 years from now, maybe 5G is everywhere. And, you know, we can all have super, super fast uh, internet access. And um, for either miners or mining pools in proof of work system to control, to maintain in the position of control, they need to continue to invest in technology to be on the leading, leading edge. And then also they can't prevent anybody else from competing. And that's the most important. For proof of stake system, yes. as long as a group of people like a cartel, like point. you said, control the majority or a near majority of the tokens, then game is over, right? They, first of all, they don't have to continue to invest infrastructure to maintain their monopoly uh, in the system. As long as they don't sell tokens, then there's no way that you can, you know, uh, you, you, you can change the, 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 the situation. Also, the other thing that's very subtle that I think most people don't realize, in the proof of work system, again, I can just go buy a mining rig and I can start mining, like you said. Mm-hmm. In a proof of stake system, to be in, to participate in the consensus process, right, which is the most important of being decentralized, to participate in the decentralized process, to become a validator, uh, it needs, you, you need to send a transaction, mm. right? You need a transaction to say, okay, now I want to be, I also want to stay. And then if the current cartel doesn't like more participants, they can censor that transaction. Oh my so you God, can't my even, mind is blown right now. You can't even become a new validator because becoming a validator is a transaction which in turn can be censored. So you literally just, you know, if they want, right? They can just control in the control position forever. Even I, I, even I've got many, many tokens. I said, okay, now I'm more than enough to stake. Now I want to become a validator. I want to say I'm going to stake now. I click a button. I want to stake now. That can be censored. Then transaction can be censored. One transaction. That's the thing. It's brilliant. What you just said is, I love this guy. What you essentially just said is that. you can buy a mining rig and you don't need to transact to start mining Bitcoin. No, you don't need to transact. Yeah, you just, yeah. Or anybody can transact. You don't right? need permission you, to join the you network You don't need the permission to, be co- to, to participate in the consensus process. Brilliant. I you can it. validate. You can become a miner, right? You can produce, um, you can sign transactions. Um, whereas, yeah, whereas in the proof of stake system, you have to become a staker or become a, a, a system sort of, yeah, to register, for like a better word, you have become a registered validator, then you can validate. Um, so yeah, we know so, that the, oh, sorry. Yeah, so we're really seeing this in, I, I think, you know, all proof of stake summits spectrum. So you start from like delegated proof of stake, like EOS. Um, it's already very much entrenched, right? So the, top, the, the block producers are pretty much all yeah. exchanges and, um, uh, or you know, organizations that are very well known in the community, and whenever there is voting, I mean, these like twenty one, it's twenty one validators, and will basically come together and say, no, we don't want anybody else. This is our small club, because why would they? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, it's it, it's basically money printing business, right? So they don't want anybody to, yeah, to become uh, a validators. Um, yeah, so other proof of stake system I think will be similar. It's not, you know, delegated, but again, it, it it just, you know, it's a continuum. And then I was a a block producer on the Steam blockchain, which was the precursor to EOS. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And they, we called them witnesses. Same thing. And there's only 19 mm-hmm. of them instead of 21. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you right now, that's exactly what happened. The 19, we were like a club and didn't want anyone else. And in fact, for me to become one, I had to like beg and go to each other witness specifically and offer things and be like, I'm going to align with your uh, views. And it's like government politicking. And I was a, I was a block producer for all of like four weeks. Mm-hmm. And then all the witnesses got together to the block producers got together to uh, do a hard fork and essentially change staking from a much very long period of time to a very short period amount of time and essentially benefit the block producers only because these are the ones that were staking. And this was the beginning of the end for Steam. This was 2017. And I lost my block production ability. I was kicked out very quickly because I didn't advocate for that mm-hmm. hard fork. Uh, yeah. I was more a fan of immutability and letting everyone decide. I was kicked out. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... Uh, um, and then uh, the early, some of the early blockchain days were so funny. So, like, this has been such a really, really great show. And I want to, like, uh, kind of wrap it all up together. Is the, uh, the fundamental belief of Nervos and you and kind of like bring it together for me, is, tell me if this is true, uh, that you believe that a token's value or like any, you know, a cryptocurrency's value is not derived from its position as like a payment method, rather it's its core function or utility. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the token has to serve a a purpose. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin's token is, uh, you know, basically Bitcoin is the, widely known as a store of value. People wanted to, you know, own Bitcoins because to hedge against um, uh, inflation or whatever, um, you know, just like digital gold. And so what we are trying to become, and this is our native token, is uh, I think Bitcoin is great. I mean, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin, obviously. Um, and But Bitcoin, when you talk about store of value, you can only store of a monetary value, right? So it's, it's digital gold, basically. But uh, what about other type of assets that you know? Uh, if we make a parallel to the to to, to the real world, um, what about your you know stock certificate? What about your sort of deed for your house, uh, your land ownership, and things like that? You know, for these other type of values that are not exactly money, but general assets, how do you store them, right? So this is where a big focus for the economic model for Nervos is. We want to be the store of value. We want to be the store of general value, right? Store of non-monetary value, if you will. And then the entire economic system is designed for that, such that um, I mean, we can, I can get into that for mm. you know very long. But the the essence is uh, the more value this network stores, then the more secure the network becomes automatically, right? So you you were basically building a city that allow people to put their valuable things in the city. And then the more value it is, then the city will automatically recruit military, basically, to increase the defense budget. Um, And that's the only way we see. And by the way, that's how Bitcoin operates. Um, uh, Because the more expensive Bitcoin becomes, then the more money miners make. And therefore, the, the more defense that the network will have. But that's not the case for Ethereum or any other general blockchain systems because people miners are only paid in ETH, ETH. So you only relate to ETH value, not the other type of assets value. 
Um, yeah, so that's, you know, I think over time we want to become that. And then, you know, we want to be the also proof of work blockchain. And then, um, but we can do, you know, we firmly believe like as a general uh, blockchain platform, eventually, you know, where assets flows to and then where people started to save their assets, the blockchain will have more value. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, for people that are interested, they can come check out our economic model. Could, since you rely on UTXOs, could could eventually Nervos be like a bridge from Bitcoin into DeFi? Yeah, I mean, it's already happening. Uh, so uh, we are releasing a bridge right now, uh, this month. And then it will be, uh, you know, bridging oh, to Bitcoin. Cool. And then, you know, Bitcoin will be going to come to Nervos. And then the, the best thing is Bitcoin users don't even know they're using Nervos. Um, so it's just all seamless. It's going to be a seamless experience. Oh, very cool. And uh, recently you guys uh, announced that you're going to be co-authoring some papers on this very subject with my good friend, Charles Hoskinson. <laughs> yeah, we're starting a collaboration with uh, because they're also UTXO based. Yeah. He's so brilliant. I love Charles. Uh, I love how he never changed. His, his personality has not changed. Like I follow um, on his personal Facebook page. He posts uh, like these just videos of him rambling on about crypto in general and stuff like that. And he always starts it with like, good morning from, from sunny and warm Colorado. Never sunny, never warm, but a little bit Colorado. And I just, he just laughs at himself whenever he says that. And I'm like, this guy laughs at himself every day. And I just like, I want to be able to laugh at myself too, because I feel like it's a big, big sign of humility. Yeah, absolutely. We love Charles. Well, in, in 2021, like maybe we all be healthy and happy. We laugh at ourselves a little bit more. And I wish you health and happiness to you and your family and, and happy holidays and, and happy new year. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Charlie. Thanks.